So today is the 31st of October, 2020. It's the end of the period that uh, the monks, if they were more than five of them who stayed together for the rains retreat, can receive the katina offering from the lay people who have faith to offer cloth. This is a tradition that has come down for a long time, ever since the the period that the Buddha was alive. And uh, it's in order to promote harmony within the Sangha that we've practiced uh, together. And so the lay people have been um, taking part in this, offering this cloth uh, for a very long time now. So the origin of this tradition was when the Buddha was spending the rain retreat at Jeta's Park, uh, the monastery that Anandapendika offered. And there was a group of monks who were practicing the ascetic practices very strictly, and their hearts were of a high quality. They had a lot of effort um, in their practice, and they ended up by spending the rains retreat at the monastery that Lady Visaka's mother and father offered to the Buddha. So through their efforts, uh, what they were aiming for was arahantship. And they practiced sincerely throughout the whole of the Rains Retreat. And as soon as this retreat period finished, they walked the 90-kilometer journey to Jetavana Monastery. And in those days, it was quite tough to travel because mostly they would have to walk along the fields of the local farmers. Their robes uh, through this period of traveling became torn and ripped, and the Buddha saw them in this state. He taught them all the Dhamma, and every single one of them attained to full awakening. And then he gave permission for any group of monks, whether it's um, as long as they're over five, or five or more, if they stay together in harmony through this range retreat period, then the lay people can offer a robe to them. It can be any of the three robes that we have, the lower robe, the upper robe, or the outer robe. And uh, so they offer the cloth for this robe, and then the monks turn it into the katina cloth. So this comes about through the faith uh, of the lay people, and it's a very long-standing tradition that's been maintained to this present moment. So the maintenance of these traditions is important, and so is the faith that we have in the teachings of the Buddha. Um, in previous times, the monks who sewed this robe um, would do so with their hands using a needle. And they were very skilled in sewing in this way. They'd be able to make all their requisites by hand. Um, and there wasn't any machines like we have nowadays. But these days, the monks aren't so skilled at sewing by hand. It's not something that they're used to. And it's a lot quicker sewing it by machine. It just takes an hour or so to do that. But if uh, you sew it by hand, there have to be many, many monks helping out. And it takes five and a half to six hours. And so some monks these days are taking up this practice of sewing it by hand, but 
What's really important is the practice of meditation, of bringing our hearts to a concentrated and collected state, training our minds, whether we're working or whether we're doing formal practice. If we're on arms round, we're washing our bowls. Whether we're sewing, then we try to be mindful of what we're doing. As we're doing any activity, we keep our mindfulness present. We also keep Buddha, Dhammo, Sangha with our minds too. And if we're very scattered, if they're very restless, then we can chant the whole of the Buddha Nusati, chant the Sitipiso, and do it many, many times, repeat it often. We try to always keep our mind with their object because they need to have something to keep them present. We need to tie an object to them and tie our minds to an object. If we just try to stay with the word Buddha only, then we may get quite tired and weary with that. So we can try Buddha Dhamma Sangha, and we could try chanting very quickly. All of this is to keep our minds with an object, to train them in Kamatana, uh, because they do need this training. We can also try living in a secluded place, and just try being by ourselves. And so we, at least physically, we're alone, we're not with anyone else. And this is how Lumpur Cha practiced what we call viveka, which means peace, seclusion. So he was trying to find external seclusion in order to get this peace of his heart as well. But what's really important is to gain that internal peace. Some people, when they are staying with many companions, then there's a lot of emotions flying around. There's a lot of sensations that they have to experience. So they could give it a shot, trying the forest, um, staying in a mountain, um, on a mountain or in a cave, a place that's very quiet, some place that's secluded, that's quite, uh, we're staying by ourselves. But if we do this, it is possible that if the mind is lacking in sati, then we can get lost in that seclusion and start becoming quite lonely. And it can be dangerous in that way. But for the great teachers, they use this opportunity of external seclusion to practice meditation, to train their hearts, using the Gaya Viveka um, to gain the time so that they could stay with their breath, stay with the meditation word of Buddha. So when we're able to keep with the breath as it comes in and leaves and use the word Buddha alongside that, then the mind can gather together into samadhi. And we gain jitta viveka, the seclusion of the heart, which means there's internal quietude. If there's a lot of thinking going on, the mind's proliferating about many things, um, then there won't be any internal quiet. It'll be very noisy inside. If there's a lot of thoughts, a lot of proliferation, then wisdom just can't arise. So there's the purpose of the Gaya Viveka, the peace externally, is for internal peace.
is so that we can use that opportunity, the benefits of these secluded physical places to gain peace of mind, to be very skillful about how we uh, use that opportunity. So we practice like this and carry on going until we do gain uh, this inner quiet. And poor Cha had us contemplate the body and the mind in order to abandon the attachments that we have. Uh, the things which our minds grasp at, we learn how to put them down. And if we can do this, as Lumpur Cha did when he went into seclusion, we gain upati viveka, which means that we relinquish, we give things back to where they came from. The mind turns pure, and this is what we call nibbana. At this point, then, the faith that we have, the belief in the fully awakened Buddha becomes very firm and secure, that he really was enlightened. We gain faith in the teachings that he gave and in the awakened Sangha that practiced following his teachings from the time that he was alive, the Buddha was alive, until this very present day. So we have belief in this. We have belief and uh, faith, or perhaps we don't have much belief. But what's important is that we listen, that we take heed to these teachings, and we put them into practice. As we do this, then we'll gain knowledge for ourselves. The teachings will gain a clarity within our own hearts. So that's what the great teachers advised that we should meditate, that we should try to maintain our mindfulness, try to chant a lot and keep our minds on a single object. If, we, if the mind is quite scattered, then perhaps we can try many objects of chanting. So rather than just one single word, we chant through the holy tipiso, and we can do that 108 times until the mind does settle down into peace, and then we can just come back to Buddha. So we do this a lot, we chant a lot. And one of the great teachers, Lumpur Lian, he used uh, the recollection of the Buddha, Itipiso, and he would chant this all day, throughout the entire day, until the mind settled down to just the single word of Buddha. His belief in this meditation method became very firm through that, that his mind really could settle down through using this one word of Buddha. But at the beginning, we need to use many objects because the mind may be thinking a lot. So we need to chant through the whole of that chant and do it 108 times. But what's important is that we maintain our mindfulness as we do it until our minds come, calm down and settle into stillness. Then we can recite Buddha Dhammo Sangha and then eventually just Buddha by itself. And this is a way that we can practice. So if we have a lot of thoughts, then we do need to practice a lot and to chant a lot until our minds do reach peace. And this is the seclusion of the heart. When they're in this internal seclusion, then the doubts in our minds will just be relieved all by themselves. And our minds will come into peace. They'll be, they'll be relieved through peace. But initially, however, it's natural for there to be a lot of doubting going on. 
We want to gain results very quickly. We want to see into the truth. We want to gain knowledge and we want to know what it is that we will know. Know what it's like to be peaceful. Know what vipassana is like. Know what wisdom is like. So we can doubt over absolutely everything. But if we train our minds, then peace will arise. And when it has come up, then we'll gain understanding and doubts will disappear all by themselves. They'll disappear through the meditation practice that we've done already. So therefore we put our effort into this practice. We try and give it our best, do it a lot, develop it a lot. And when we have engaged in this and developed it frequently, um, then peace will come up. The factors of vitaka, vichara, piti, sukha, ekakada, the initial and sustained application of the mind, joy, pleasure, and uh, one-pointedness will all gather together in one point in the heart and the mind will settle into peace. We'll gain the internal energy of samadhi. When our minds leave this settled and stable state, then they'll start to think. And we use those thoughts to contemplate and gain an understanding into nature. This nature being something which is here already, the nature of things to arise and cease is something that happens constantly. It's just that our hearts don't see it because the knowledge that they've gained is just that of conventions. The things that we've read, the things that we've listened to, this doesn't enter deeply into our hearts and so we don't gain a clarity of insight. So the body arises, stays for a while and ceases. And the breath does the same. It comes in and then there's a brief pause and then it leaves. And if we really see this clearly, then we will gain vipassana, this insight, we'll have knowledge. It's just that normally we don't see it. So it requires our training to train these hearts until they reach peace. And this practice is of great benefit, something that gives us incredible value and wealth. It's an incredibly skillful and intelligent thing to do. The sata, the faith that we have, is very important. And we try to be firm in our faith. In the beginning, um, we develop this faith, but eventually um, our faith becomes firm through understanding the Dhamma, so through seeing into truth. So we try, we practice, and we do this uh, together on a regular basis. We develop our minds. But it's also important uh, to um, offer, to be generous. And this is something that normally we do on a regular basis as well, that we cultivate this form of merit. This is also very important and necessary. When we have the opportunity, we do it. We're generous, we're charitable. We uh, offer the material aspects uh, of the sasana. So we build, we help to build salas, uh, dharma halls, ubosita halls, or jetties. And this is also something that's necessary for us to practice with. We can compare it uh, to someone who makes investments in a worldly manner. 
Um, they make an investment and they want to gain a lot of profit from that. And the more profit they gain, the better. So for us, we have made our investment in the physical aspects. Um, we have offered our money for the building of monasteries. So we need to try and profit from that as much as we can to try to gain as much peace and as much happiness um, as we can. So these offerings, uh, we do that to provide Gaya Viveka, uh, the seclusion of the body. But then we use that as well to train our hearts, to gain internal seclusion, and do this every single day. Even though we may have many duties we need to engage with, we really try to practice, try to bring our minds to peace until they gain an understanding, till we're able to separate out the body, separate out the elements we can see into emptiness. Or we can keep this emptiness as the focal point of our hearts. And for some people, they just find it very difficult to stay with the recollection of the Buddha. So instead, they can contemplate into emptiness. Seeing emptiness as Dhamma, seeing all things as empty. Understanding that emptiness is the nature of awakening. And this internal nature of awakening abides in every single thing. When we see this, then it shows that we have reached the truth, that we have seen the Dhamma. So it's important for all of us to be sincere in this practice, to really train our minds. That we have this opportunity that we do to train, to listen to the Dhamma, to practice these teachings, shows that we've got a lot of good fortune, a lot of merit, much good luck. So we use that to train our minds, to gain Dhamma. Even though we may work a lot, when we have the time, then we need to use that to practice. We do our work and we practice as well. We have mindfulness as we're working. And then when we gain time in the evenings to sit or do walking meditation, it'll be easier um, to gain peace because of the presence of mind that we've kept throughout the entire day. We'll be able to sit and both the body and mind will feel very buoyant. So we try. We train ourselves, do it a lot, cultivate it a lot. Separate out the elements, separate out the khandas, the body, until all doubts are relieved from our hearts through the knowledge that we've gained. We can compare it to um, being in a forest, being lost in a forest. And we have a machete with us, but the forest is very thick. So we try to cut a path through it. And the more we hack away, the easier that path becomes to walk along. So even though we have doubts, we still practice and we don't stop. We keep going, we keep practicing, we keep trying. Um, and at the end, we'll be able to make a path that leads out of this forest. When we do that, then we'll see this path with clarity. We'll know that it really does lead out, and we won't have any doubts in the heart. So this uh, samadhi, it depends upon the seclusion of the mind. Um, but when we use that to contemplate, then we gain this upati viveka, and that which allows us to abandon all our attachments. Our mind becomes empty, empty from all of the sensations that they normally experience. 
There's no being, there's no self, there's no other there. We see that with clarity. The mind gains energy in this point, and internal power is really important. Initially, there's the power of faith, and when this is cultivated, um, we gain the power of effort. But sometimes there's a lot of faith, um, but it's not strong enough, and so the effort that we have is lacking. And when we don't have this effort, um, then we won't really see clearly into things. So we do need to endure and forbear at this point. Try to maintain our sati, and when we do this, then it's natural for wisdom to develop and grow. We gain this internal energy, and effort really comes up. And when it's effort through wisdom, then we won't have to force ourselves we won't really have to try so much. We won't have to use our powers of forbearance anymore because our effort will come through joy. There'll be internal contentment and happiness because we see that what we put in, um, we gain from that. We gain a lot of peace, a lot of joy from that. So the efforts that we put into the practice and the happiness that we get from a meditation, um, it's not the happiness that we get from gaining things, but rather it's a happiness that comes from relinquishment. It goes the opposite direction from the ways of the world. In the world, we think when we gain things, then we'll be happy. When we get praise, when we get acknowledgement, status, <coughs> and pleasure, then this will give us happy, happiness. But these things are uncertain as well. They can change on us. <coughs> because with the pleasant aspects of the worldly winds also comes the unpleasant aspects. So with gain, we get loss. <coughs> and with praise, there's uh, disparagement. With status, there's loss of status, and with pleasure, there's pain. <clears throat> so it is something that we need to be very careful about. Lumpur Cha um, likened these worldly dhammas to um, us resting, leaning against a stump. But the stump is very decayed, so it's dangerous. And as we lean against it, it's after a time, we'll fail on us. It will fall away and we'll fall backwards and we maybe will knock our heads on the ground and become unconscious. So therefore we need to try and gain the happiness that comes from samadhi. This then goes into the happiness of wisdom and we'll be able to see into emptiness. And we can use this emptiness as the focal point for our hearts, contemplating into emptiness. And when our hearts gain this, then they will have also gained true happiness, the happiness that arises from abandoning self. So we train like this, and we practice following the path that Limpucha taught, this path that he himself trained in until he gained upati viveka, the seclusion that comes from abandoning. And so many monks have gone on this path as well, going into the mountains, into caves, um, going to very frightening places, and places with elephants or tigers. 
And the more fear that comes up, the more incentive there is to stay with the meditation objects. And this can give the mind impetus to reach peace. As they train in this way, then the mind will turn empty. Even though monks these days may, know, may not go off into the mountains or into the forest so much, um, they still have the opportunity to practice in this way in the monastery. They can put up their umbrella tents within the monastery grounds. And for uh, lay people, they can try to practice in this way as well, try to gain this internal seclusion. Or they can go through the chant Itipiso 108 times, do this a lot. If um, we chant too loudly, then we may get very uh, tired and our throats may get sore. Uh, so we try chanting more quietly then. Or if we're in a large group who are chanting, then we can just recite it internally in our hearts, and that's okay. The purpose of it is to bring our minds to peace. For those people who are inclined towards wisdom, or have a lot of wisdom, then instead they can contemplate emptiness and use that as the object of their mind. And seeing into not-self, teaching the mind in this way until wisdom comes up. And this wisdom then firms uh, samadhi, makes it stronger, which in turn comes back and cultivates wisdom more. So these two aspects of samadhi and wisdom support each other, and they help each other out. So we're intent in this way, we practice like this. We try every single day until we see the Dhamma, until we attain to the Dhamma, until we gain this upati viveka within our own hearts. So may all of you set your hearts on practicing in this way.